Hello and welcome to Between Two Cairns. I'm Yochai. Hello, I'm Brad. And today we're going to be reviewing The Temple of the Blood Moth by Jacob Butcher. But first, we have a question in our mailbag. Let's crack it open. We got this question in to our between two cairns at gmail.com email address from Goblin's Henchman. Let's hear it. Go- Goblin's Henchman writes, Most of your episodes so far have covered some aspects of adventure design and or information management. I'd really like to see you guys bring together your top thoughts for best practice for good adventure design and or information management. Woo! That's a, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of question. That that could be a that could be a workshop, baby. Right. I feel like I feel like the easiest way to answer that is just to say what we like, but I think people know that already. Well, all so, right. Let's just do our best. Let's give the uh, the the capsule answer. You know. Okay. You start. Oh gosh, that's a lot. Well, um, you start. Rude. <laughs> I think for me, in terms of running an adventure, I typically read it once and then I'll read it just before a session or, you know, sometimes during a session, depending on how well I understand it. What determines how easily it enters my brain is it's a couple different things. I would say information design is hard and people who just say, just get better at dungeon keying don't really understand how hard it actually is for, you know, the rest of us. But there are a couple elements. Generally, less is more. I think You should give yourself arbitrary limits on room size descriptions, you know, like instead of writing flowery speech that describes every possible nuance a room might bring, just think about one or two objects or entities in a room and describe exactly how their existence changes the room in some way that the players can actually engage with. Well, I, I'm thinking about it from the perspective of the player, right? So when the when the player character enters a room, they're looking for what they can manipulate in the world around them. So you have to write the encounter in such a way that they can engage with it in a way that allows them to actually change it. So, for example, if you if your characters enter a room and there is a pile of white dust just caking the floor of the dungeon, and in front of them a massive stone block stands hovering in the air from some ropes they can look at that and go okay this is probably a trap but like what is this white dust all about and you need to give them something to work with so that they can figure out what actually is going on here but also so that they could maybe trigger it so you could say like oh there are lumps in the in the in the white dust so you might as you're writing it right white sand cakes the room there are lumpy things in it that gives them something to investigate. But you also might say the obvious thing, like this giant block just sits hovering in the room. What could it be for? And then give them something interesting. Like maybe you could say um, there's an hourglass in the corner and the hourglass is is turned and all the dust has come out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just not really thinking about this in a cohesive way. But No, it's it's interesting because it's like your audience is – Kind of a bunch of people that aren't actually going to see your work in a way. I mean, obviously, the person running the game is your audience as well. But you're playing telephone to some extent and, like, communicating these important concepts and and ideas through a proxy. (laughs) So it's like, how can you talk to this person that they communicate to the next group of people, like, what you want to say? I think that's an interesting uh, interesting thought there. Well, and I think that that 
to take a step back, I think one of the most important questions I ask myself is, why was this place built in the first place? Like, why was, why does this temple of the Blood Moth, for example, why why does this temple that player characters are entering exist? What what was its purpose, and what is its purpose now? Because they don't have to be the same thing. Just answering those questions really helps figure out how to help the player characters determine the potential dangers and interactivity of each room. I I think that is really helpful as well when you repeat it, if you repeat the same kind of potentiality in each room. So, okay, in this room, it looks like that block was used to crush bone. That's where the white dust came from, right? It was used to pulverize bone. Okay, now we understand what that room is for. Maybe it's not even a danger to us, but it might hint at what the next room is for. The next room might be for taking that dust and the bone dust and um, using it to power a machine that will bring back a dead god or something. And you can kind of connect those two things. So yeah, I feel like these are very obvious answers. Oh, another thing I really like is when... There is a lot of um, verticality in a room. Like, this is one nice thing about playing in more modern, like modern settings, like even Electric Bastion Land does this really well. When you have like a building that the PCs are traveling through, you can think about what's above them, what's below them, how how they could potentially use the elevation to their advantage or how it could be used against them. I think thinking about, um, three-dimensional space and not just here's a couple things to interact with in a room, but also what's above them, what's below them, what requires multiple visits to the same place. Right. Kind of challenging players to get outside their immediate line of sight and like think about things beyond what's immediately screaming at them and challenging, you know, what's obvious. Right. And I, I guess to go back to the original question, which was our best practices for good adventure design, I think constraints are the key to ingenuity. Mm. You know, it reminds me of um, an interview I read with a comedian where he was talking about how the showrunners or the producers of his TV show would force him to follow, you know, practices and standards, whatever they call them, the rules around whether you can swear, what you can show. And he said that that those constraints were his best friend because they forced him to think under arbitrary limitations and come up with new and um, creative ways to do things. So in general, giving yourself goals, like um, I wrote a dungeon for a module that is not published yet, that is shaped in the fashion of a Kabbalistic image, the Sephirot. And it's pretty linear, honestly. I mean, there's a bunch of connecting paths, but it isn't, it doesn't really make any sense in and of itself, unless you understand the meaning behind the shape and all that. But what I liked about that is it made me think about the themes of each room, of each room as they relate to the overall concept of this religious, um, I guess you'd call it <laughs> experience. This, like Kabbalah is all about reaching ecstasy and oneness with the creator and all this stuff. And so I got to think about, okay, if I was creating a temple in order to achieve God, godliness, what would I need from each room to get to that place within this larger philosophical construct that um, these builders are are working under? So having a theme really helps. Sticking to that theme, um, yeah. What, what what do you think about that? Did you give yourself any arbitrary limitations for your published adventures, at least? Um, not really. <laughs> I, I I mean, I definitely start with a theme, and I kind of 
tumble it around and and find like every facet of it I can I can crack. And this is just for like conceptualizing a dungeon. I have a, an adventure in my book Wyvern Songs called The Singing Stones. My concept was there's a desert and the rocks can talk. I'm like, okay, well, so what? The rocks can talk, fine. So I'm like, okay, what are they saying? Are they saying anything? Maybe some don't say very much. Maybe some give quests. Why would a rock give a quest? I'm like, okay, maybe there's something that's eating the rocks. So now there's a monster that eats rocks. It's not eating people. Is this a threat? You know, and why would players care about a monster that only eats rocks? You know what I mean? And I just kind of keep spinning like, okay, what can I go from here? Keep spinning off um, until you have like a multi-sided multifaceted adventure around a theme. And and I think that's useful for like coming up with the the concepts, like the 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 meat that's filling in the body of your work. To go back to the question, thoughts on best practices for good adventure design and information management. Ooh, I mean that's <laughs> it's hard, man. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's like I think the biggest struggle for people writing adventures. I mean I struggle with it. Everyone struggles with it. My General philosophy around that is that adventure design is it's one part technical writing and it's one part like haiku. It's like poetry in one sense. You are communicating difficult and sometimes complicated patterns, structures, ideas. Uh, and that's the technical writing aspect. So you need to do that effectively and efficiently as possible. But equally as important is you need to do this as efficiently and as evocatively as possible. Like you're bringing in haiku here. You have to make every word absolutely just sing because you're painting a vibe. You are communicating a lot just beyond like the room is 10 feet by 10 feet. Like what does it feel like? Why does it matter that it's here? So I don't know. There's a lot of cool innovation right now. The Old school essentials, house style with the bullet points is like a really big one now. I see a lot of adventures using that. I think that can be very effective. Um, I don't think there's like one true way to design an adventure. And I think it really, really depends on what your adventure is and, and what works for your adventure. If your adventure is really like location dependent and there's lots of complicated you know rooms and whatever... Give people that information in an easy-to-use place. Put, like, a mini-map on every page. Sepulchre of the Seven does that, right? The, yeah. The, there's Hexanome puts a version of that map. Um, actually, Temple of the Blood Moth kind of repeats the maps as well, which we'll talk about, um, which I find very helpful. And um, that house style you mentioned that OSE does, I actually prefer the way that Dungeon Zine does it. I think that that's, like, you know, the... Um, the plus ultra. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know how you, what it's called, but it's like that is top shelf. It's, it's let's describe what matters in, in as sufficient a way as possible so that the brain space of the person running it is freed up a bit, but also make the map actually readable with what you care yeah. about. Like I don't care about the squares or like a pile of straw. I care about here is where the thing that will kill them is and how it matters, like why its location matters. And it, you said, Oh, it's really good to have mini maps. I like having yeah. maps um, in an easy to accept, a very accessible way, which is interesting because in print in the middle of the zine is the best way to do it. But on PDF in the beginning in the end is the best way to do it. Like I, um, I remember when I ran where the wheat grows tall, the map is right in the middle, which if you're running it from a PDF as I was, because I, I played it online, it was really annoying. 
to have to like find the map. I eventually opened up a separate PNG of the map so I could look at it that way. But if I was running it at the table, it would actually be great if it was just wherever the book fell open, you know? So that you design for the experience that you're hoping to engage and you're not going to make everyone happy. In fact, by definition, you have to make some people unhappy and that's, that's good, I think. Yeah, but I definitely like think about how people are using your product. Like, yeah, where's the map? I mean, look at like old TSR modules. I think it's kind of lost at the moment, but I kind of love the covers that pop out and there's a map inside. Like that, that's sweet. Like old class, you know, keep yeah. on the borderlands. Has that, yeah. Totally. Like that's, that's terrific. We don't do that anymore. The keep in the borderlands one is great because so I can't make a version of it that fits in the book. I have like a cell home printed version of keep in the borderlands and it's like the map. I can't get the map size to make sense because it's such an old scan. Anyways, that's not really important. Um, one other thing I really care about in terms of presentation, if the player characters are exploring a dungeon, it shouldn't be aimless. It should be obvious in some way. There should either be a countdown that becomes obvious to both the player characters and the person running the game. One thing I really like is like in Waking Willoughby Hall, okay, the house is waking up slowly and the player characters figure this out. They don't know it right away, but it becomes pretty obvious that there's a time pressure on. I don't like surprises. I want the player characters to feel like they're playing a game of chess in some respect, where they know that they gave it their all, and if they made a mistake, they understand why it was a mistake and why it's good that they were punished for that mistake, or or maybe not, but why the consequences happened the way that they did. So in Waking at Willoughby Hall, you know, you're a, a bunch of, like, scoundrels who have ended up in this house, and these other this party stole a goose from a giant and they end up in this mansion and the player characters are like, you know, following their wake. They don't immediately know that the giant is like surrounding the house, slamming his fist into it, but they figure it out pretty quickly. And over time, the house is also waking up because it's haunted. I like that it, there are ways for the player characters to figure out that the house is waking up and that an encroaching danger is coming. And I think the way you do that is by having people to talk to. That adventure has a lot of people to talk to, the butler and such. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, to springboard off that, how are, how are players learning information? How do they know information? How can you make interesting ways for them to understand information? There's no, there's no right answer. Um, but yeah, I mean, having people to talk to, sure, that's a great way to do it. I think that's a lot more fun than rolling like a uh, knowledge of s- loud sounds check. You know what I mean? Like, well, right, perception checks are are kind of terrifying to me because it's it's like I mean I understand why people like wisdom checks and perception checks and trying to figure out if the the room is dangerous and whether the character would know that. But it's less interesting to me to keep information from the player character. So, um. Make it obvious. Make your encounters obvious. Yeah. I think a lot of modern games do a lot of information gatekeeping. And, you know, you got to roll this like specific lore check to know what's going on. And it's fun if you know it. But if you don't know it, it's not fun for anybody. So, like... Exactly. Maybe there's a better way to present that information. Right. And, I mean, in some cases, it's okay. Like, oh, yeah, well, this character would never have known blah, blah, blah. blah. But in other cases, it's cool if, yeah, the character knows something, but they have to use logic and reason to figure out what that thing does, or more importantly, how to get around it. Like, let's say they don't understand the trap, but they destroy the trap. That's awesome. You know, like, like let them destroy your traps, you know, like <laughs> let, let them beat you at your own game. That's the most satisfying because it, yeah. Don't be precious right. about it. Don't be right. precious about your, yeah. Your stuff. Drown, drown your sorrow, not sorrows, uh, drown your, what's the thing you love? Kill your darlings. heroes. Darlings. Drown your darling. No. St- uh, suffocate kiss kiss your nope. darling suffocate 
Kiss them? Suffocate. Who are we kissing nope. somebody? Why is it always weird? No, okay, moving on. Thanks to Goblin's Henchman for the question and for emailing us at betweendukarens at gmail.com. Let's move on to our main review. Gosh, I'm exhausted from all that. I think let's end this episode. And yeah, and yeah, let's tomorrow. just... All right. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. This has been... Love your children. Kiss them goodnight. <laughs> wow, you've got a good send No, because it's now. not... All right, I changed yeah, my let's, mind. Let's talk about the Temple of the Blood Mod. All right, so tell us about this uh, adventure module zine experience book. We- we are talking about the Temple of the Blood Moth. This was an adventure published in 2019, uh, zine format. Got 32 pages by my count. Uh, written by Jacob Butcher, edited by by Skirples, the great Skirples. Um, and this is kind of a location-based adventure about the titular Temple of the Blood Moth. It is um, kind of horror themes, I would say. Um, Characters enter this temple, descend into the depths, and find the terrible moth stuff and kind of cult around it within. And uh, that's what this is. I was going to make a comment about how you pronounce scurples, and I was going to say, isn't it... You say it's different? I say scurplies, but I think that's wrong. It's Scurplies? Is that wrong? I bet you it's wrong. I'm trying to think why it would be Skirplies. I, I would put a, an I in there, I think, or a Y. There's no... Skirplies? Rules. Okay. Seems wrong. Well, it's all wrong. Anyways, so the setup is... Starts in an abandoned town. There's some pretty evocative hooks around it. Everyone's gone. It looks like they left suddenly. There's like food on the table. And there are signs pointing to people have moved towards this temple up on the hill. So you come into this temple, you look around, try to figure out where the villagers are. Maybe you have business with one personally. And the deeper you get into this temple, the weirder stuff you're finding. And there's pretty horrifying, (laughs) like, blood stuff happening. Also, the temple is somewhat inviting to the player characters. It's not portrayed necessarily as a dangerous place there are like you know these not monks but they're presented kind of amongst there's these cult people that will like feed you and try to drug you and stuff like it's not necessarily every scene is going to be combat immediately like some temples or dungeons you the player characters mm-hmm. enter and it's 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 immediately dangerous this is more kind of like what is going yeah. on who are these people and there's a lot of right. Um, opportunities for role play and, and character interaction, which is again, really important. Another note, I love that it has a full column on how to run this dungeon. I think that's really great. I think it's helpful for people to know, yes. um, how the person who designed the module wants people to be running it or would suggest, I, you know, I believe he wrote, writes here, like, if you're trying to incorporate it into your own world, think about this. It's very cool. More people should do that. So, okay. I like Skirples. I have a ton of Skirples material, you know, a ton, a lot of it, a lot of it. And I love the blog and a lot of the, um, you know, the, the I love the glog. All, you know, we don't really need to go into ha- waiting for the great. butt. The word edited is spelled wrong on the cover. It's spelled E-D-I-T-T-E-D. <laughs> if that was the only thing, that'd be kind of fine and funny. 
More importantly, there's a bunch of spelling errors in this. It doesn't have the same kinds of problems that some of the previous reviews we've done have had with respect to editing. It's pretty well presented. There's a couple tiny things I would change, but the number one problem with this from the I'm starting this right this way because it's on the dang cover, which is an awesome cover. It it it's re- there's a ton of typos. It a single pass would have found these. Anyone, I w- I'll do it. I'll do I, it. I'll edit it. Get, send me yeah. the stuff. It's really good. Let me just edit it because the cover has the word edited spelled wrong. There are oh yes, like the word downward, downard, stuff like that. Like they just basic spelling errors. But also there's a weird voice used. You know, like a, a writer's voice. Occasionally it's written in such a way where it seems very informal and it's in the second person. So it'll say, um, you are filled to your shins. Who is you? The person reading it? I don't understand. So, so there's this, that, that, that also comes up like just either be consistent or maybe don't do it. Like, cause it, it switches its voice all the time. Yeah. What even is, I mean, uh, edit, editing editors, that's at least like three different jobs, right? Like someone that edited something that could mean anything. You know, I don't know. Um, it, certainly, I don't think it was copy edited by Skirples because that's the sort of thing that would find typos. Editor, you would yes, but catch. in a small production like this, I mean, an editor is the person who signs I, off on the document, right? They kind of have the total. Yeah, I would. I would think this was more like develop, like development editing, like consulting with how it's structured yeah. and, and that. I, look, I maybe I'm being. I'm I'm only nitpicking because it's, you know, what if it was anybody else, I would say, oh, whatever, this is like a small thing, and they just got someone to help them. It's freaking Skirples, man. It's Skirples, like the Skirples. Yeah, Skirples yes. is pretty great. Um, yeah, I don't, I can, I can overlook this. I think, in general, there's a kind of spirit of DIY throughout this work that I, I can really get behind. I really like that. And to me, like some, 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 uh, some typos, misspellings here and there. That's, that seems fine. This is like, this is like a zine as a zine I think is meant to be kind of a DIY affair. Yeah. There's uh we have a celebrity editor on this one, but, uh, I don't know. This just, I, I like the kind of homegrown feel of this work. This reminds me of the zines that I would buy in like high school and college, you know, in the late 90s, early thousands, like running them off on a photocopier at Kinko's the day before the, you know, the indie comic show kind of thing. Um, it's just, uh, it feels very human and I appreciate that. But at the same time, I do think there is some pretty good layout and design here i think the information is presented well i like that each spread has a map and a whole floor contained on it when we get into like the dungeon descriptions i like the the kind of um very physical like art like you can see the 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 ink marks on on the on the um illustrations it all feels like very yeah, real it's very it's very so diy give it extra points it's for definitely that. very diy yeah um, and the, I totally agree. Having a map on each spread with very self-contained encounters and rooms. And also it's super clear on the maps, which room is which, because it says on the map, you know, it doesn't just say 11, it says yeah. 11 cistern, 12 
no. seller. And it also presents the same information over and over again. It was really easy for me to read this. I could run it after reading it just once. Um, yes. It doesn't really become, I think, its best until the very end. I think it all kind of makes a lot more sense and is it it's greater than the sum of its parts. Like I think when you finally get to the mm-hmm. the whatever the bottom of the dungeon, you realize, oh, this is actually really interesting what's happening here. It's not you know <laughs> yeah. and I think that, that that's kinda cool. And yeah. in fact, in many ways, it does what the Isle was trying to do, but better. <laughs> um, I wanna before we move on, I wanna say one more thing about layout and then I wanna talk about that. Um that I think if you are like an, uh, if you aspire to be like an adventure designer, I mean, you're probably looking at works by like, you know, Johan Noor or Vasily Kaliman or, you know, Gavin Norman being like, how do you do this? How do you get to this level? Like, look at this one. This is doable, but it's good. Like, right, right. This right. isn't shooting you with fireworks. This is like everything you need. And you could probably like whip this up without cracking your head against the internet being like, how did they do this? How did they do this? So um, I want to just give major points to this uh, presentation here. But yeah, let's talk about the the content. I also want to say one more thing mm-hmm. that I forgot to say in terms of the uh, layout and formatting. The typeface is awesome. I really like the typeface. Oh, well, it's again, I think it's just like Courier New and Futura, I, you right? You know, These I thought so. Typefaces we have I on thought our so. I yeah. I did a, like a analysis of it. Like I took a screenshot and I uploaded it uh-huh. in like three different websites. None of them could figure it out. Yeah. And it does. It does. I agree. Really? I it does look like courier. courier. And I even did a little test to uh-huh. see. <laughs> but I'm such a noob around fonts that I thought, oh, maybe I'm just like totally missing it. But no, oh. it totally works. You got the Futura all caps on the headers. Well, that's what makes it looks all DIY, too. It's like. You know, when I was making like screen prints and zines, this is what it, <laughs> this is what it looked like. So I, I think it, that's great. But they look good. You got you got the headers. You know, a sans serif font. You got serifs on the tech on the body text. It looks great. This is perfect. Well, and yeah, and mixed it. with that sort of hand drawn look, like not hand drawn in like some of the art I don't like, and some of it I'm like, wow, this is so good. You know, there's like a, there's like moth <laughs> yeah. wings later that I'm, I just, wow, that's so good. Yes. And then there's like a person and They're it looks gorgeous. like some of the people, you know, it's, I draw, <laughs> you know, it does not look. So I don't know if that was intentional, yeah. but there's some art here that is incredible mixed with some art that I don't understand how this is the same artist. I just, it's hard to. Yeah, I love it. And that's, yeah, <laughs> you, you would. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's a great, I think, adventure because it. It, it it's an exploration site where the player characters are journeying down, down, down. And there's a reason to continue on. There's little things like, oh, what's this? That probably connects to this. We should try to get that and bring it back because so-and-so said it was important because they meet a couple of characters that may or may not be helpful. Um, like, an, you know, maybe we'll get to that in a deep, deep dive. But there's one particular character who the player characters really I think they're supposed to think is on their side who may or may not be on their side, but um, gives them clues as to what they need to do. And if they've explored properly, they know what to do. They're like, Oh, I saw that. Let's go back and get that. You know? So I I really like that. I like that it's all connected and makes sense. And that there's an impending doom that um, the player characters can figure out by having visions. Like, you can like ruin your whole campaign with this if the players don't handle it right. It's like apocalyptic. 
So in general, we both really liked it. I think it's great. I think people should know more about it. I'm sad that I can't buy it from Jacob's website. I actually signed up like a year ago to try to get another copy and have never been able to. So I just printed it at home, which is fine. Um, I really like it. People should buy it. Let's go into the deep dive. Now. Deep dive. <sighs> okay. So I really liked the um, moths that their wings were actually spells. Like their wings themselves were complicated spells. It's very um, Doctor Strange. Um, Doctor Strange like has runes that he can make that surround a person to protect them. And those runes can be knocked off by being punched or something. That's from one of the cartoon Marvel's What If series is like Doctor Strange protects everybody with armor that can be punched off of you. It's pretty badass. Um, I really like that. And I really liked the sword that is <laughs> when you <laughs> stab someone, it drains their blood and you can use their hit dice for your next attack. But I liked it more for the theme than for the actual mechanical benefit. Oh, the gore peaches. Oh, disgusting. I knew they were <laughs> disgusting because obviously a yeah. name like gore peach, but I never would have thought about what they actually do, which is they <laughs> they can turn into yeah. little creatures. <laughs> Wait, is that what they do? I remember, let me look up the gore peaches. They do two things. They they do... Um, uh, you eat this. There's like a, so there's a tree in the courtyard growing these like uh, gore peaches. Here we go. You eat a peach, the next time you take physical damage in melee combat after eating the peach, a mass of writhing gore and undulating flesh will erupt from the wound and snaring and lashing at your attacker. Plus two to hit, 1d6 damage. Uh, that's Oh, you can also plant the pitch. The, you can also plant it in the ground and grow into a small gnarled creature with hard shells. The peach pit people obey no one. Right, that's the part Perfect. that stuck out to me. Because it's like, what the <laughs> hell? What? Um, I also... Yeah, yeah. those are... Delightful. I like the table where it, you can like get visions about the future, about what might happen. Um, the uh, madness and revelation table, which again, this is where the art is hilarious. <laughs> and like, what is this the same person? It's great. It's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here, I'll read one. You see a whale deep under a dark sea covering in covered in hundreds of unblinking eyes watching you drown. <laughs> yeah. But then you can, if you go, so the bottom Okay, so thinking that really took this to the another level for me is, you know, you start, you're seeing cultists. The next level, you're finding, like, the egg room. There's these, like, vein-covered eggs that can latch onto you and try to drink your blood. It's like, oh, God. Then you go down, there's, like, these grubs, these giant, awful monsters, and then you find the actual moths they turn into, and they're, like, horrifyingly powerful creatures. You don't want to mess with the moths. Then at the very bottom of this dungeon, you find, like, a mountain-sized egg, and it has, like, portals to this blood planet on it, and you can jump into a blood pool to go to, like... Well, right, that's the cycle. <laughs> the that's the cycle, is that the the moth god right. takes over a planet, plants its egg, and then, you know, gets recreated through this trans-astronomical portal or whatever, trans-planet. Yes. Um, one question I had for you. But that egg, that egg, man, when I got to the egg, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, did, that's it. Does it you make, got me. Okay, Love does that. it make sense <laughs> to you why the moth god doesn't want to kill the prophet, though? Um, No, that's like, I don't know, esoteric weirdness. I like, so yeah, you can find this prophet. The leader of the cultist is this vampire kind of guy. He's doing experiments. He wants to, like, create the perfect moth people. So he's fusing moth parts to unwilling captives. And they're mostly these failed experiments that are walking around being like these awful, terrifying, 
monster people. Pretty pretty significant horror themes in this one if you haven't picked up on it already. Um, but there's like one perfect angel that he created, and it's this like pacifist living in this pit on the bottom floor. But no one wants to kill him, and he doesn't want to kill anybody. No, the high priest wants to kill him. But uh, he does. Says the high priest wants. Yeah, the high priest wants to murder the prophet, but the blood moth prohibits him from doing so for reasons unknown. Okay, that's what it says. Mysterious, esoteric stuff. That that I didn't really understand. I thought it might be more. You know, maybe there's something more interesting about that. Maybe it needs the prophet somehow. Another thing that I thought was a little unclear was the golden arrow, which is really important according to the prophet. But then. They don't call it a golden arrow earlier. They just call it an arrow and they just casually mention it, which is fine from the player character's perspective. But from the person running the game, I at first thought, well, that arrow is probably important. But then they didn't use the term golden arrow. And again, that's something that a passive editor would just say, oh, you need to be consistent around this. You called it an edit. You called it a, a an arrow. You need to call it a, a, an arrow or a golden arrow, whatever. That was a little right. Confusing be consistent. To me. Yeah. I mean, fine. Like, that's a nitpick. They kind of alternate between like cleric cultist they kind of like use different language about the different um well exactly exactly and maybe that's on purpose and i also can tell that this is super close to jacob's heart like you can you feel that he was working on this and running it and like writing it in a way that i think is really really awesome which again is why i think it's only marred by this basic editing but i I think it's wonderful you know i think just definitely the map is Great. There's like really interesting ways to navigate this. There's cool secrets. I love also, here's a nitpick I have about dungeons. I always think if there's a locked door, there should probably be a key somewhere. I know it doesn't always make sense. You got these ancient ruins, but I'm like, there should be keys. And there, there, wish granted here. Every locked door, there is a key and the keys are important. And like, here's, here's a big compliment I'll make for it on page four. Yeah, you basically see all four levels of the dungeon in one half spread. I oh mean, yeah, it's amazing. You you can you yes. can see and read clearly. I could run the entire thing from this one page. It's amazing. It's amazing. Totally. And then later you see. And I didn't realize the moth. There's this chamber where all the moths are actually like flying around in, and I didn't realize it spans the entire dungeon until we get that cross section map on. on uh, page 12 i was like oh my god oh yeah that, that was that really, really cool that you suddenly get a different perspective on the whole map uh, right on i don't yeah, know why they decided to put there's it there connections. but it, yeah it's it's cool it's like oh here's everything that was the perfect spot I thought. no it, it is because that's where you see how the the moth cell goes right, all the way up right. and it like it wasn't obvious before it was it wasn't hidden but it was just like oh that's how that works oh right so i guess if i could make one comment it would be it would be cool to have seen that also on that same spread from page four, just sure, next yeah. to it, because instead they just yeah. write level one temple, roll one d6 for random encounters. It's like, come on, you could have combined both. But yes, I totally agree. It's if I had to like do this for myself, I would print out page four and I would I would mix, I would like move the image from page twelve onto page four and then have one single print with all of the maps on them because it's so easy to like refer to. So yeah, I, I did. I can't cannot, and I also love the random encounters on how they like you roll more frequently on the table, depending on how deep they are in the dungeon. That's really great. I know it's not like original to this, but it's great. It's well done. Yeah. And the random encounters are for the most part, pretty interesting. Like the, 
cultists aren't just like chasing you with swords like they're doing stuff they're bringing an egg somewhere or they're yeah they've got they've got their own lives going on in this dungeon they're eating silently so it's nice that there's a little more depth beyond just like standard cultists in a dungeon attacking you on site there was one part about that where they write that the blood moth is devouring all of humanity and its followers safe in golden towers high above the sea of blood very cool i really couldn't tell if it was saying they're devour the blood moth is devouring all of humanity and its followers or mm-hmm. it's devouring all of humanity and it and its followers are safe in golden towers i couldn't there was a couple yeah. times right i didn't understand whether it ate its own people or not, which maybe that doesn't really matter, but it's just another example of like basic. Editing. Sure. I know I'm harping. I'm harping on this. I should stop. But yeah, um, again, One it's thing, a single might... pass. Yeah. Only other like th- change I would make is that it's a little light on gold. There's some treasure on like the top floors, but the f- floors, I feel like some of my players would not go down to the bottom floors. They'd be like, eh, no, we're out of here. Um, having a, like a little more, motivation to do so putting like some really better treasure on the bottom floors than just like awful horrifying monsters um i would do personally i just think we need a little more gold in this but that's a pretty easy fix i think there's like a lower shrine you could load that thing with all sorts of yeah treasure. i actually don't care about that at all but yes because i mean they're not exploring yeah. for the treasure i think i mean they might be but they're it's soaks i feel like what's going on in front of them overrides their need for like, I know that there's this whole a concept of, well, the understanding is that we're doing XP for gold. I, I get it. Mm. But there's a yeah. certain threshold where danger makes it not worth. Like, how are you supposed to play critically? I mean, let's take a step back here, right? Yeah. This is a problem I have with the OSR in general. Is there's this idea, okay, that there's this OSR playstyle. And the playstyle is on the one hand about... Going into dungeons, killing stuff, killing, sorry, going into dungeons, killing monsters and taking their stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then there's this whole, oh, I love using XP for gold. You know, it gives the player characters a reason to do a thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, those characters are supposed to weigh their lives against their decisions. They're supposed to make good decisions, think critically about their, like, dangerous situations that they're in. And you're constantly like walking that balance of, is this XP worth it? When it's not worth it, it's really hard to keep the game fun, I think. Mm -hmm. That's my problem. It's like the way that I incorporate non, you know, I mostly run Karen, so it's not XP based anyways, but it is advancement Mm -hmm. based to some degree in that you're looking for like your player, the player characters are trying to become more powerful through acquiring items or through right. foreground growth or whatever you want to call it. I think it's really hard to come up with good ways to explore or good reasons for exploring a dangerous place if gold is not enough or XP is not enough. And I think this has a lot of good reasons, both in the story hooks, but also this is a world yeah. ending event. It affects them. You know, right. So I feel like when it's a world ending event, gold seems almost meaningless. You should still reward them, but I kind of like who cares about gold? They're trying to stop the end of the world, which could be passe. You know, maybe maybe it's not interesting. But for me, it's like, no, no, I want I want them to want to stop it and to believe that they can. Right. Yeah, that's fair. But I also want them to be in danger. I mean, that's my biggest critique of like 
Dungeon World, which I played for years, and how it's uh-huh. abs- absolutely not an OSR game, um, no. despite its you know saying that it it may be. Not just them; other people have said so too. I think um, in uh, there's actually a really popular primer online that includes Dungeon World as an OSR game, and it's inspired by it. But like one problem I have with a lot of PBTA games is that they focus so hard on the player characters being the center of the story that it it works actively against the critical thinking and high lethality. Right. style of play that i prefer so it's a weird there's a weird balance but i feel like i just went on a total tangent here but oh yeah i do oh yeah this is how i feel about gold yeah this is we should do a like an after dark you know or a a, a post a post session or a i don't know what you'd call it but where we just Uh kind of riff and only premium really no, no, it's not. It's going to be the worst of our content. It'll be like the stuff <laughs> nobody wants to listen to, which will it'll be great. I can just like let loose, you know. Worse than Anyhow, bad. Worse than um, cool. That's, the, that's, that's what it'll be called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, worse than bad. Okay, worse than. All bad. right, so we both Good. love this. Do you have anything Good else you dungeon. want to say about it? No, I just I, I dig it. Love. Um, I mean, it's pretty horrifying, but I like horror in my osr i think osr games are like kind of always kind of scary but this one really leans into being horrifying there's some like pretty pretty brutal like blood and human human experiment kind of stuff but yeah for me it totally works i think this is uh, a good one i say pick it up okay i like that yeah yeah i also like it get the temple of the blood moth by jacob butcher Edited by Skirples. Skirples. Skir- Anyways. Skirples. Yep. This is, this is, um, this has been Between Two Cairns and, uh, you can reach us at between two Cairns at gmail.com. Thank you to Bobby McKelver for the music and to DLB for editing. But yeah, that's the show. Thanks that's everybody. That's the show and you listen to it and that's the end. You have and been listening to this show. Thank you. Between, 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 Between two cairns. Two cairns. Thank you.